0: got some laughter at the beginning, and then it just went silent, brutally silent for the majority of it. I mean, I felt like I'm zipping my skin and just rolling out of there because it was brutal.
1: Hello, bonjour, shalom, and welcome to Culturally Jewish. I'm your host, David Sklar.
2: And I'm your other host, Ilana Zakon.
1: Well, join us as we explore Jewish art, culture, and identity here in Canada. This week, we are joined by Alison Darcy and Joseph Schrag, co-creators of the theater company Scapegoat Carnival.
3: Mama always wanted me to be a doctor But I became an artist and that really shocked her Now I'm interviewing people in the biz pros and newish But all of them are artists and they're culturally
2: Jewish
1: Now, Alana, I know this was your idea You wanted to bring them both on for this week uh, Why?
2: Well, ever since I moved back to Montreal I uh, wanted to reconnect with a lot of people in the theater community And Allison, uh was a friend and colleague of mine and we reconnected and very quickly got into super interesting conversations around Jewish identity and arts. And then she introduced me to, to Joe. And the three of us got together and had even more interesting conversations where we talked about like Middle Eastern politics and, um, you know, are Jews white and all these sorts of topics that some of which we get into on this episode. Um, and very recently they put on a show, Vertip, which was a puppet show exploring anti-Semitism. And I had the the privilege of being able to come sit in on one of their um, dress rehearsals and then Alison and Joe and I had some pretty interesting conversations following, uh, their, their premiere uh, about the audience reaction to a show that was, uh, I guess controversial to them, especially for a French audience because the show is in French and, and uh, I thought it would just be such an interesting first conversation for us to have on on our new podcast.
1: And for those people who don't know, Alison Darcy has been a professional actor in theater, film and TV since the 80s and has been directing theater professionally since 2000. She is the co-founder and co-artistic director of Scapegoat Carnival, an award-winning theatre company in Montreal. And Joseph Schrag is a Montreal-based playwright, who is also the co-artistic and co-founder of Scapegoat Carnival. His award-winning plays have been performed at the Centaur Theatre, the Siegel Centre, Théate-le-Licorne, among many others. Enjoy. Je
2: m'appelle Verti. J'habite dans le sous-sol du centre communautaire, sur la rue Saint-Urba.
3: Chaque année, j'organise et je dirige le Castellet de Noël.
1: Uh, Thank you both for joining us today. Uh, Very briefly, we would love to know how you both ended up in the arts and more specifically in theater. And Allison, why don't we start with you?
0: Uh, Well, I was kind of born into it, unfortunately. Unfortunately. In that way that I'm saying unfortunately because technically that would make me a Nepo baby, which I'm not very pleased about (laughs) considering, I think. The idea of Nepo Baby makes you think that you get like a lot of advantage from it, whereas I've managed to maintain my foothold in a very, very small community uh, of and the Anglophone theater scene within Montreal. So yes, I'm a Nepo baby, but it didn't get me there very far. Just while
2: while we're while we're on that, um, for the people who don't know you, Allison, uh, can you just tell us a bit about your dad? Because I think it's just really interesting for our audiences.
0: Yeah, I'm both my parents. Uh, my uh, my parents came over from England. My father's originally from South Africa, of uh, Eastern uh, European uh, Ashkenazi descent, and. Uh, my mother is British um, and Anglican, and they um, they they came over uh, to teach at the National Theatre School, and then they ended up starting the Centaur Theatre together um, in Old Montreal, which turned into a really big, prominent kind of theatre for this community. And then my mother, after having... Um, my brother and I started Geordie Productions, which is... Um, I didn't know that. Uh, um, a, a prom- oh, no, okay, so a prominent... Uh, Theater for young audiences and has created a network all over Quebec, all the way up into Alert Bay.
1: Geordie is where I got my start touring theater. There you go. Yeah. There you go. And Joseph, is there any nepotism running throughout your family?
3: How did how did you get involved? <gasps> um, not really nepotism. Uh, my parents were social workers. I don't think they did much for me in the arts other than give me a healthy discouragement from going into them. But um Despite that, I went to Concordia. I did a degree in English and creative writing, and I wanted to be a writer. I did a bunch of playwriting classes. When I graduated, I tried being a writer, and I met Allison, and we staged a play that I'd written in a very, very lo-fi kind of way, but it was a really magical experience. So we kept doing theater, and I met the English theater community, and I just sort of stuck around doing it
2: amazing so I was yeah. the gateway drug <laughs> that's
3: great as, as it tends to be with theater you, you you
1: dip your toes into it and then you, you can never it's get stuck. out of it
2: so I, I want to go back yeah, to Vertip for a second which the show that you that you just put on which I had the pleasure of, of seeing an open dress rehearsal um, we're, we're going to go deeper into the weeds on the show in a second but uh, that show is a puppet show which tackles anti-semitism and I know that it's not the first show that you have put on that has a Jewish theme was there an intention when, when you created the company that you would explore some of these Jewish themes or did that just happen unexpectedly or organically?
3: We weren't thinking about Jewish identity directly. I think there was always a sense, a shared sensibility between Alice and I that reflects in some ways an inherited culture, a sense of humor, uh, an absurdity that I associate somewhat with uh, Jewish writers. Which, which, which Jewish writers? Kafka. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, oh yeah, Kafka. <laughs> I could so see that in your work.
3: You know, it's funny. I just read um, Mordecai Richler for the first time.
2: Which which book did you read?
3: The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz. Have you heard of it?
2: <laughs> I haven't read it either. You ever? I know. Read I should. Kravitz. I should.
0: Oh, I had to read Duddy Kravitz in like in high school. It was like a big part of the curriculum. Oh, I guess
2: they cut that out.
0: <laughs> Montreal, Montreal high schools. Right yeah.
2: Here. Well, we all went to Montreal yeah, high no, school. T- but go on.
0: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no Joe and I. Uh, yeah we we definitely relate to each other in a slightly kind of jewish way i don't know if that's a way to express that but it, it like we have a we have a shorthand and a kind of an understanding of i think the ironies of life and 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 the and the and the and the, um, the ridiculousness <laughs> the, the surreal and the 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 sadness you know and i think we we um yeah we connect them on, on that level so right i'm i feel like i'm able to understand his work in a in an authentic way so you know now's a great time i want
1: to talk a bit about the show vertip can you tell our listeners and myself i wasn't able to see it what that show is about
0: it was inspired because uh, of a of a newspaper article that uh, joseph saw about a um the ice festival that happens in Quebec city every year and i guess one year there was a sculpture of a Jewish character, but it was, you know, um heavily, you know, bearded, crouched over with the nose and, and a bag of shekels. And um no one said anything about it. <laughs> um and people just kept walking by until finally a couple from Montreal, I believe, uh saw it and said, Hey, that's really kind of an anti Semitic depiction. It was revealed by the um, the creators who were Eastern European that this was um, a character from the Vertip, um, which is a style of puppetry um, that is prominent all over Eastern Europe. And the character of the Jew, or Zid, uh, was, you know, a famous character. And they didn't think of it as anti-Semitic, just as who he was. And, of course, as <laughs> you get deeper into the tradition, you see, oh, they also have the... Um, you know, the Roma character, which they refer to as the gypsy, and, you know, a, a bunch of other kind of symbols that are rather uncomfortable. Those those ice sculpture uh, makers went back to Eastern Europe very, you know, flummoxed by why we would have an issue with this, and this inspired Joseph. In 2011, he was asked to write a piece for the Urban Tales Project, which happens at the Centaur Theatre. It's an English uh, version of uh, Conte Urbain, and it's a kind of a Christmas time uh, event where different writers will, will write monologues um, to be performed. And they all have kind of like, like a slightly dark tinge to them. So Joe wrote this piece about Vertip, which was performed by Andreas Apergus and um, directed by Harry Uh The story is about that story was about um, a man who lives in the basement of a kind of community center and has come from Eastern Europe and has inherited this puppet box theater of of the Verte from his family and all the puppets in, inside it. And every year does this kind of puppet show for Christmas, but that this year he's not doing it because something has happened. And what you discover is, is, is that what happened is, is that the Jewish character, Zid, um started shaking his bag without him <laughs> and demanding money. And um he's kind of terrorized by this puppet who's constantly demanding money and he thinks that the puppet's gonna ruin the show and he's gonna it's gonna be a national um embarrassment. But I mean you have to remember this man is living in a basement <laughs> alone doing these puppet shows for nobody and like his stage manager is the, you know, elderly woman who lives upstairs who takes care of the cafeteria and she keeps trying to tell him to stay in the house and stop bothering people. So you get an understanding that his mental stability is is not um, quite there, but yes, he becomes more and more obsessed with this, this, this puppet um, demanding money that he decides the only way he can deal with it is to get the Cossack puppet to kill him. Uh, And, uh, and so then there's an attempt there, but of course the Cossack is too drunk. And uh, he ends up uh, disguising himself as a Jewish person to take over the role. Uh, I don't know if you want to hear the ending. I don't know if I want to give it away or not. Don't,
1: don't, don't. Yeah, let's see if it continues on for for a tour. But, you know, the way you're describing it, it does make me think of almost like Schwarze Pete, Black Pete, where in certain segments, yeah, was that the inspiration or was that the idea behind it?
0: No, Schwarze Pete, which is uh, just for those who don't know, is like, the um, apprentice to Santa Claus in Eastern Europe or by Sinterklaas. Um, and he is um, supposed to be a chimney sweep, but he very much looks like a person in blackface and people really um, kind of acknowledge, some people acknowledge that. No, he was not a, a chimney sweep. He was a slave. He was Santa's slave. So actually this is from the Vertip tradition as well. But every country in, in, in Eastern Europe kind of has their own characters of the, the cultural puppets. And so that one features um, heavily in Holland, but not in... Well, we were looking kind of more more at the Ukraine and, and that area, just because that's also where our heritage is from and where our actor is from. Our oh, lead really? actor is actually Ukrainian. Oh, wow. That's so... Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that we were speaking from places of knowledge, you know, and of our own heritage. And so,
2: Joe, when you were writing this piece, because I I feel like I just want to put the disclaimer over it, as the three of us have talked about in, in real life, that the show is kind of making a statement about this issue, not condoning it, but making like a social mirror almost, like holding up the mirror to the audience. As you were writing the show, knowing that people might take away different things from it, Were there any initial worries that came up for you or any blocks during the writing that made you want to do something else? Like, How did you push through that, if so?
3: Well, it's interesting because it was written uh, in 2011. And it's funny how much the culture has changed since then. You know, I think it was drastically. It was definitely following the influence of like Jonathan saffron Fowler or Sasha Baron Cohen, where there's a way of joking about how Jews are, how, how anti-Semitic people talk about Jews, or to be more precise, a casual anti-Semitism that is very easy to make fun of and that often comes from another culture. And I think looking at the piece today our challenge was how do we, one, deal with the fact that people are far more sensitive to the depiction of stereotypes, and two, how do we not point the finger at an entire culture and and ridicule them, you know? And that really became a concern, um, especially after the invasion of the Ukraine, I really had a few long nights of the soul and thought, are we just making fun of Eastern Europeans? Are we especially making fun of Ukrainians? Our actor is Ukrainian. He's currently, you know, his apartment is now placed for refugees coming in and out. There's a horrible, horrible war. It's not really the time to criticize. And so that tension really changed the piece.
0: And uh, interestingly enough, because the monologue was written in twenty eleven, but we decided to make an adaptation of it to create a puppet show. Um, only only in the last um, couple of years, and so even within the last couple of years, all of this dynamics have all of these dynamics have changed, and us translating the material into an actual puppet object, and seeing it and touching it rather than just hearing about it. Also, was a, created a massive impact that we had to reckon with it in in the space because seeing an anti-Semitic representation physically can be a lot more kind of traumatic than just hearing a depiction of one, and um, and so that's something we had to negotiate to the last minute. I mean, at the very last minute, I actually cut an entire puppet that I felt was just too too much. Oh, interesting. Uh, so you actually saw that puppet, but other people have not seen I that. won't say anything.
1: So, so what is it that you think about, what, what does puppetry then give it as opposed to doing uh, a performer or an actor discussing and talking about anti semitism or dealing with these things? What does the puppet provide or remove or take away that you can maybe more safely explore these ideas?
3: Well, it, yeah, it was very interesting because I think on the one hand, the minute we had an object, it created a, a much greater tension. To actually see a stereotyped object as opposed to hear about it in passing definitely was like, oh my God, what are we doing? Because it's it's so uncomfortable. At the same time, there was an opportunity to show a person's relationship with a puppet and to be able to stage in some ways a reconciliation or a change that was material and tangible come over the puppet. So there was all sorts of opportunities that came up. I think the thing we had to go through was to be like, oh, my God, this is, like, creating a lot more tension in the room, but there's also the opportunity in theater to resolve that tension. And I think that's where all the cathartic possibilities are. And, you know, a puppet isn't just a puppet. It's a, it's always a pas de deux with the puppeteer. So when you think of it as a metaphor, it's like there's the puppeteer and the puppet, and that relationship becomes so much more live and interesting and complex when you see it.
0: Oh, 100%. The whole purpose of the story is to talk about the symbology, the, the the um the iconography of of casual racism. And so to actually see the symbol is or you know is 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 actually very important because it is a visual symbol that they're discussing. They're not talking about having people saying things. They're talking about seeing people doing things which are anti-Semitic movements, you know, or, or, you know, caricatures that you would see visually. Right. So, yeah. I
2: really want uh, to talk a bit about the audience reaction. I know we ran into each other after you'd done, I think, one show. And I, I found what you said so fascinating. So if you can just retell that story that you told me about um, that first, first show, and then I'm so curious to hear how the rest of the shows were received.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Uh, well, we were um, sitting in the back row (laughs) and uh, we saw all the the puppets, international puppet people come in because we we previewed at a huge puppet festival in Montreal and we'd never been to the festival before. We're not actually a puppet company and we're Anglophone. So the fact that we were doing a French show with puppetry and premiering at this festival was pretty intense. And it was also our first time in front of an audience of more than five people. And um, everyone was very nervous, including our actor. And we had been working up to the last minute. So it was all a bit intense. And then uh, the sight lines were terrible. And so people couldn't see a bunch of the show. But also at the last minute, (laughs) Joseph and I made a decision to do a voiceover introduction saying, you know, the show has moments of anti-Semitism, you know, like a a trigger warning. And uh, I think that was a mistake because um, I think everyone got ready to see something about the Holocaust or, you know, something really um, dark and and, and upsetting. And so they were not in the mood to laugh. And uh, the piece we've done is actually very light. It's really about casual racism. It's about puppets, about whether or not we can keep the beauty of the folkloric stories without all the problematic elements, you know, can we separate them and 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 keep these things alive, you know, uh, rather than banishing everything and banishing all the people who ever touched it, you know. And so these are very complex things, especially um, for an audience of non-Jewish people, which is primarily what we were finding here in Quebec on the French side. So, yeah, what happened was we got some laughter at the beginning and then it just went silent and it was brutally silent for the majority of it. And then suddenly when we had the ending, which I don't want to ruin, but is funny and emotional, then we got all the laughter back again. And and then the warm coos, you know, from the audience. And, and we were, I mean, I felt like I'm zipping my skin and just rolling out of there because it was brutal. (laughs) But it's interesting because with every performance after that, we were then bringing it to people um, who were not, intimidated by the subject matter and the laughter started happening and rolling in. And by the end, and, and still by the end, we also had a French audience, but they were really engaged and laughing the whole way through and, and, and and not afraid. And I think some of that also might've had to do with, you know, the performance relaxing and getting more engaged, but also we changed that pre show conversation to say, Hi this show's been created by uh, Ashkenazi Jews and Eastern Europeans and in both of our cultures we use humor mm. to look at at the at tragedy or at things that make us uncomfortable so we invite you to laugh with us okay at this at this. And I, I think that's
1: it helped a lot. So that's a very interesting thing. To,
0: yeah. And
1: so much about trigger warnings too. Sometimes, you know, there's been a whole debate in our community about what do they provide? What do they take away? Are you revealing and prepping the audience for this stuff? And it seems like in your case, maybe that was detrimental to the show to sort of say, this is a show and there's serious issues of anti-Semitism or anything else. So now be prepared and get ready to, to, to deal with this serious subject matter, as opposed to the levity that it seems like you wanted to provide. Now, I'm curious about another puppet show going on at the same time, which was The Incredible Secret of Blackbeard, L'Incroyable Secret de Barbe Noire, where it actually did get cancelled because you know, it's a black performer with what people have described as doing blackface. Now, why was that show, I, I'd be curious to hear from you, why do you think that got so much negative press and feedback and was eventually pulled, whereas your show, maybe dealing with similar issues with the stereotype
3: of what people might call Jew Jewface, uh, was, was able to to continue on, just to be clear, like his show was temporarily canceled in Beaconsfield. As much as I can understand, it did have this huge uh, response in the media um, and people arguing about it, and that really put the fear into us. Obviously, because we were doing something parallel, and someone even said if a Jewish person did this, they would be canceled right away. And when I read that, I didn't breathe for about two minutes. And uh, <laughs> everyone in the rehearsal room, we came in the next day just pale. You know, we're like, what are we getting ourselves into? And um, I can't really speak t- too much to um, uh, to the other piece. I don't really know the, the iconography well enough. But um, from our perspective, I think we the piece is really about, uh, that the subject matter, um, and it, and by the end, if people can make it to the end, I think we give a strong resolution and a hopeful resolution. Um, and I think that might be the difference, um, is that it's our subject. Whereas with him, it's, it, it was, um, one of his puppets in his defense or what he said in his own words, it was a self-portrait.
2: Right,
0: yeah, I read that. Uh, Also, I would add that um, while his character really did look like a typical black face, even though it was a self-portrait, whereas our puppet was not what we would call Jew face. Like, the puppet did not look like a representation of a Jew. He just had a, a bag of shekels. So it was the object that he had with him and the movement of his character that made him a representation. So I think visually just seeing the puppet on its own did not did not um, sure. generate a kind of shock that the mm. other um, puppeteers puppet but you know it was fascinating because everyone came out in support of him after the after that was pulled like the whole the the theater community the puppet community all the, the founding bodies everyone was in support of him because he was doing his work about his heritage and his life and I think it was it was one of the few times when the more kind of socially or quote-unquote woke kind of um, intention was actually pushed back against.
2: This is making me think about like the wider issue. David kind of brought this up before about, you know, sometimes we give these trigger warnings and then there's a big conversation in our industry about representation and diversity and inclusion. And it made me wonder if your show – had not been written by Jews, and it had been put on, would that make a difference or not, in your opinion? For the world, not for you, like for audiences, do you think that they would care one way or the other?
0: That brings up a a bigger conversation that I'm still having with myself about whether or not, um, because so many Ashkenazi Jews are considered white people, that we are not um, kind of within the protected shell of the, you know, the 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 trends towards uh, equality and diversity and
3: inclusion. Yeah, I mean, I remember when we hired Sasha, he said if it hadn't been written by a Jewish person, he would not go near it. Um, and even the fact that it was written by a Jewish person, he was still quite, until we finally got the run going and really understood the show, apprehensive about what he was depicting as a non-Jewish person. This
2: is making me think a bit about um, a speaker who came to the Siegel Center recently. Um, I'm in the Jewish arts mentorship program there, and every month they bring in a different speaker. And he came in from New York, and he's a black Jew, uh, converted, but he's ordained as a rabbi, but he's also a theater creator. I'm, I'm just trying to find his name. It'll come to me in a second. But, um, we had a really interesting conversation about representation, and he was really pushing us all to think about how we can become more specific within the different strains of our Judaism, even if we are Ashkenazi. Cause I, and that was something that I had never really heard anyone highlight before of like, we're not just one white, like, I mean, I don't mean this word in the way that I said it, but I was going to say whitewashed. Um, we're not, it's not just one brushstroke. Like Ashkenazi often is portrayed in the media as like one thing. Maybe you have like a New York accent and you look a certain way and you talk a certain way or whatever. But Ukrainian Jews and Polish Jews and Russian Jews all had very different traditions. And some of them had some various versions of language that they would speak. And I know that from talking to my grandfather when he grew up, there was a lot of tension between communities in Montreal that were all Ashkenazi, and I feel like that that was a really good reminder of like, oh, in my sh- you know my shows that I create, how can I get more specific? And I think that it sounds like you really did with Vertip about making it about an, a specific heritage. You didn't just say this is just you know a, a brushstroke. Just wanted to throw that out there.
3: Well, I think also because it was a collaboration with a Ukrainian artist who had firsthand experience of this puppet tradition. It helped have a kind of a specificity to really um, look in detail about it, and I, yeah, I really value that that we did that it did become uh, a collaborative effort with people who have different knowledge and different perceptions of it.
0: I question the kind of desire to become more specific. Actually, in some ways, and, and in other ways, I, I don't and because it, okay in the ways i don't i i think i understand why we would want some specificity specifically when we're talking about the ways that um jews are being represented because like for example just in terms of skin color okay um i am definitely you would look at me she's a white person like i don't look anything other than a complete white person <laughs> But if you look at Joseph, who has the exact same or not exact same, but very similar heritage to me, he will sometimes be stopped at the airport, you know, and um, or, you know, uh, get a lot of those no, but where are you really from kind of questions. And um, and and so I think there's a there's an acknowledgement there that needs to be had to understand that, yes, in in a, in a culture that is um a, a you know a, a supreme white supremacist culture you know that we all live in. Different Jewish people are having very different experiences based on on s- something like that.
1: I want to thank you both for coming on culturally Jewish. It was a really informative, wonderful discussion, not only about your show and your work, but also about some of these greater questions, which we will have to definitely leave a pin in as we progress with the show to ask these very important questions. Thank you both for coming
3: on. Thank you so
0: much. Thank you. This is a great conversation.
2: Now we're going to take a few minutes to chat a little bit about what we've been up to in the industry since David and I are both uh, multidisciplinary artists uh, in this vast milieu of uh, the entertainment world. Uh, David, what are you working on these days? Auditioning more? I know you are just a dinosaur. Please tell me more.
1: I was I was uh Tyrell the Raptor so we were touring for a couple of weeks across western Canada as far as Winnipeg and then the other side we went to uh Vancouver Island it was great uh there is talk that there That's there so may lucky. be it was it was I was so happy to be in and around Victoria, the weather was great, there was no snow, I got to spend a bit more time visiting and catching up with some friends in Vancouver once the tour was over. Um, I think that's my retirement dream is to escape the winter of Calgary and head to Victoria and live out there as a well, retiree. Oh, that is a
2: retirement place, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's where most <laughs>
1: Calgarians go to die, sadly, really. but true. Um, it's
2: so beautiful.
1: It really is. I, mean, I know you lived in Vancouver for many years. Um, yeah. and you I've got to, to Victoria a, lot of a few times. There. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's 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 a lot of theater there. Uh, there up is. And down there's the a coast. pretty good
2: there's a pretty good scene. Vancouver is probably like the hub for theater in BC. That's where they. It's kind of like the Toronto of BC, where they'll cast a lot of shows for small parts of the province out of right. Vancouver, um, but they they have a lot of like little communities a- alongside. Uh, the, yeah, the different parts. Like Shemanes
1: cool. does a lot of musical theater, I mm-hmm.
2: know. Yeah, they do. Um,
1: what have you been up to recently, Alana?
2: Too much, <laughs> which is oh, okay. which. I should not, I should not be complaining. Um, a lot of writing. I just started booking some more voice work again. It's been very, very quiet since the, the uh, fiscal new year. Um, but I'm going to be doing an ad for Buick, which is my second time doing an ad for them uh, later nice. this week. And then I just found out um, like literally five minutes ago that I'm going to be doing another ad next week. So I'm very Ooh. glad to be able to squeeze in some voiceover before Passover. Um, but other than that, I, I'm writing a play through uh, the Jewish oh. Arts Mentorship Program at the Siegel Center, which we can talk about more another time because that will take up a whole episode. Def- definitely. <laughs> um, and I, I'm, I'm working on a whole bunch of other little projects. So it's just been a, a, a lot of me at the computer, which is not my ideal way of spending my time. I'm definitely craving uh, being in a rehearsal room again, but I trust that the time will come.
1: You know, Alana, um, there is so much there to talk about, but you did mention the word fiscal, which kind of gave me a bit of a trigger right there because this is what I'm dealing with as we speak, dealing with my taxes as a self-employed artist. It is the bane of my existence. I don't know how you feel. I don't know if you do your own taxes, but no, this is the most.
2: Definitely not.
1: Is, I do my own taxes, and this is so frustrating because we have so many different jobs that are like T4A an slips. an
2: Accountant. That's no, how you
1: do. I it. had a bad I had a terrible experience one year with an accountant Get a who, better scro- one. who screwed me over, cost me Get thousands of dollars that Get I owed to the government, one. maybe, but I like I like learning about how how to do my taxes. And this is what I'm dealing with this month and for the next couple of weeks. So it's just been very stressful.
2: This this sounds like a problem you've put onto yourself unnecessarily. But anyway... (laughs) I would. I'm horrible with numbers. Um, I have too many incomes, so I, I have never done my own taxes, and I probably never will. You know what? Maybe
1: at some point we should bring on like a tax expert onto this show to talk about <laughs> that how artists. That's so boring. How, <laughs> no, it's it's actually once you get the hang of it, it becomes really exciting because then you know what you can deduct and what you can get away oh. with and what. Oh, you oh can't. I know how
2: to. I, I know what to deduct. That I don't have an issue with. Um. Cool. Well, I'm 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 glad that we got our little catch up. It has been a bit of a. Stretch since we've uh, caught up in podcast land. And yes. uh, be- before we, we wrap up the show, uh, we're going to share uh, an event that we're excited about that's going on in Canada right now or that is about to go on. Uh, David, do you have any, any art related event that you are excited about?
1: Yes. Happening right now at Theatre Calgary is a show called Forgiveness, and it's uh, based on the acclaimed 2018 Canada Reads winning novel by Mark Sakamoto. I saw it for opening night. It is a tremendous, epic show. It's, um, It's basically a memoir of Sakamoto's grandparents and their experiences during the Second World War. Mark's maternal grandfather was actually a soldier, a Canadian soldier, who spent years in a prisoner of war Japanese camp, as well as his grandmother, his paternal grandmother, was one of the thousands of Japanese Canadians who was interned by the Canadian government during the Second World War. Uh, It was a tremendous feat. They started in Vancouver. They're ending this week in Calgary. If you're in and around the neighborhood, please check it out. It's, It's a wonderful powerhouse of a show cool Alana, what's going on what do you what do you want us to check out
2: I'm gonna do a little plug for prayer for the French Republic at the Siegel Center uh, which is opening on April 23rd I had the uh, opportunity to read the script and I cried probably four times reading it I'm really really excited to see what they do with it It's written by uh, Joshua Harmon who wrote Bad Jews which I know David you were in a production of uh, in Calgary a bunch of yeah. years ago. Uh, but this play takes place um, in France, and it goes between 1944, post-Holocaust, uh, and then modern day, and you see the same family, you see their ancestors and the present-day family dealing with a lot of the same issues around anti-Semitism. It is a dark comedy, so there's a lot of humor to it, but it's it really, it really punches you in the gut um, with everything that's been going on in France over the last bunch of years. I think this is a really important show for people to check out, so be sure to um, go to the Siegel Center website and look for a prayer for the French Republic if you live in Montreal Culturally Jewish is hosted by me Ilana Zakon and David Sklar Michael Freeman is our editor and producer our theme music is by Sarah Siegel-Lazar to support this show and everything else that CJN does head to the cjn.ca slash donate to make a monthly donation thanks for listening